Welcome back to Streaming Banshees. You can find us on our website, streamingbanshees.com, or on Twitter at TV Banshees. This is Beep, and you can find me on Twitter at Beepsplain. You're about to hear part two of our episode 10 discussion for Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. Cece, of course, will be on. You can find her on Twitter at A Capital Chick. And we are joined once again by author and friend Gino. Just a heads up that we'll be taking a break for the summer and we'll return at the end of August with the remainder of our Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha rewatch and season two of Ted Lasso. Thanks for coming along on our rewatch journey so far. Enjoy part two. All right. There's another sleepover. This is a very different morning after. Talk to you about all the ways that this is an example of show don't tell. Not only about what's happening between Heijin and Dushik, but also Heijin's relationship with the community. Well, she's not sneaking out. And instead of her trying to hide from, you know, the neighbor's eyes, they just walk down and greet them all. And instead of gossiping and saying, oh my goodness, she spent the night at his house, they're very concerned. And it's clear she that they view her as one of them at this point which is a huge change from the other two times. Yeah, the other two mornings, it was like purely for sport, right? It was gossip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When she walked up, and of course you have like the humor that (laughs) Dushik's the one who was actually stabbed. Yes. He's (laughs) bleeding out of his shirt. I'm like... I love how they put that on there because I'm like, wouldn't they address the fact that it's bleeding through his shirt? But it's just that... I thought that that was blood too. And I think it might actually be like some sort of, it's part of the brand leather pack. I'm not sure. What I, know. Know. <laughs> I think it is. I, I, I didn't even notice that there was anything on his shirt. Yeah. It's, it's oh, wow. great. That shirt is very underrated in terms of Hong Sheik's wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, Beep, I know what you're talking. Like it's like <laughs> he has a stab wound and everybody is worried about her. Like, Gamry has brought the, like, re- like you know, calming pill, and Oyun is like, let me go make coffee for you, and everyone's all worried about her, and he's the one who's, like, been part of this town forever. But every person says, I only had one. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Come on, guys. What, what I loved about it is, if you think about the last episode, how her father was so worried about her being alone when he's gone and wanting for her to have a family, she already does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and the thing is that so is Namsuk like can't quite, she's trying so hard guys. Right. Like she's at the end. She's like, so like, why were you there late at night? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Are you guys right? And it's so fascinating. This like subtle show, but don't tell because Haitian and Chief Hong are like a little bit embarrassed, but it's nothing like before. Right. And, and they, she doesn't deny it. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't address it. But it's nothing like before when she was like absolutely paranoid about what people were going to say about her. And it, mm-hmm. it's like says so much about where she's at and her journey, not only in how she feels about him, but also like what she's worried about in terms of what people are saying. It's been kind of like the subtle journey along the way. That takes us to Mison 
and Yoon Chol running over. Both of them have had quite dramatic accidental date nights. Can we talk about the Yoon Chol Dushik eye conversation? Oh, that was amazing. There were so many incredible gifts of that made on Twitter, and I loved every single one. <laughs> It was the, hey, bro, you with her or something? (laughs) It's not like that, man. I mean, that's clearly like what they were communicating. Oh, yeah. And and then like outstanding. Yeah. And then like, are you sure you're not? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we also have like the the redux of the jail scene where every time these two friends get in hot water, they just are reduced to like a puddle of tears hugging each other, talking about how much they love each other while they're pseudo boyfriends just watch and are like they're crying and hugging again like i guess this is just what they do but what shen haun does in sort of these parallel tracks with these two relationships is that both of these women are about to sit down and have like a conversation in a little while where they are both going to realize that they have pretty serious feelings for these men basically like They're on these parallel tracks, but if you notice, she uses them to sort of balance out the emotional up and down of the show. So this episode, Yunchol and Misone are going to hit a trough in terms of the romantic development, while Dushik and Heijin hit a high point. Later on, when Dushik and Heijin are hitting like a really rough spot communication-wise, we're going to get to spend like basically some like emotional relief time where we can enjoy Misone and Yunchol being like adorable together as a couple. And I think she does like such a great job of using them to sort of balance out the audience's emotional journey. Talk to me really quickly about how Heijin and Dushik spend the rest of their day kind of living out this thing that Yunchol said, I'm more worried about you than me. He literally stalks her (laughs) in In the best way in the the best way (laughs) but it's like where are you going oh i just want some really crappy coffee today like (laughs) he is so concerned about her but is constantly wanting to blow it off not only you know for himself to try to convince himself he's not doing what he wants but also for her like he doesn't want the crap she's gonna give him if he admits why he's really doing it yeah when Gamry says to him later on she has taken up all the space in your heart he is think about how he spends this day he gets after up. hitting him on his wounds <laughs> yes we're very gonna... important Gamry yes. knows what's what yeah we will we will get there but if you this is basically like this he walks her to her office there's no reason for him to do that. We've never seen him do that before, right? He, the next thing he does is he goes to the hardware store to order a lock for her window. You know, he joked around about, you don't need to worry and, oh, I'll set up a gate, right? He made all those jokes, but he remembered it and then he's going to go do it and and not even like tell her that he did it, right? It's just another one of his long list of acts of things that he does, an act of service, like you said, Gina, that he's not even really going to take credit for. Meanwhile, what's Heijin worried about back at her office? That he's going to be all alone planning his grandfather's memorial and she like walks through the market and can't help but 
buy something to bring to it. And so, you know, it's like, again, showing, not telling us that they are constantly thinking about the other, even though they're not saying it out loud. That's what's going on with Heijin and Jushik. Let's go to what my daughter calls the cafe of rejection. She's right. (laughs) Truly. That's not where you want to go on a date. No, you don't want to be, actually, you don't want to be eating with anybody if you're about to confess your love or drinking anything on this show because it's not going to end well. But Misson and Yunchol, right? If if we're going to end this episode on a high note, right here is, is a serious low point for them. Can you guys help us unpack why Misson does what she does here? Ugh, it's the same reason anyone in this show would do this right now. <laughs> she, uh, It's her. It's her self-worth. She's like, I know I get too fast and I do this. And she literally thinks she's going to like ruin this guy. And it's so sad because she doesn't see not only who she is in general, but how that's probably changed for her too. I mean, she's here living in this small town. She's like falling for this guy. Like nothing about her life is what it was before. And she's still, she's going to, what? It's my job to deny you today, tomorrow, every day. Like, (laughs) come on. She's being a gatekeeper. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting because this is how this confession goes is probably what Hong Dushik would have said to Heijin if she hadn't have literally put her hand over his mouth. Like, I like you, but I'm going to put a lid on it. Because as you said, Beep, it's tied to her own self-worth. But then he turns around and is like, doesn't say anything. Because again, he's just being respectful of her wishes. Well, I think I think what's interesting is if we talk about the when you carry an umbrella and what an umbrella symbolizes in this show, which is trying to hedge against risk versus walking in the rain, taking a risk on what's unexpected. Anytime a character basically uses an umbrella. Misson uses an umbrella first. Yunchol doesn't go after her, right? He doesn't, he basically like absorbs it and doesn't say anything. Neither of, it's like a chain reaction to people not taking risks, which then leaves them both in the position of not getting what they want. And it's, I think the writer's making a point. Like if you don't go out on a limb, then, you know, you're, you may end up like director G and it may not work out, but you're also never going to know. And these two people really like each other. They're going to end up getting married at the end of the show. But neither of them are willing to take a risk in this conversation. So they're both still alone. But still so cute. So adorable. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, come on, you gave her a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how at the cafe rejection you could not have brought up the rotisserie (laughs) chicken of love. I mean, I just... I literally want that to become a thing. A rotisserie chicken of love. Yes. When I'm flirting with someone, I just want to be able to give them a rotisserie chicken and then like you know. There you go. Just like let me know if you give someone a rotisserie chicken and I'll like send them that scene so they can oh, appreciate it. I will. No, I'm going to do it at some point just because I can. I can appreciate the significance. All right. That takes us to the grandfather's memorial scene. 
One of the things that I love the most is that the grandfather and his memory is always a gateway to Dushik connecting with his new family. So whether that is his young back in college, when he set up that memorial for him as a surprise and basically claimed him as a brother to his speaking to his grandfather's memory or Gonjin coming and bringing everything and remembering this day, the way they'll remember his birthday every year or Heijen coming and bringing food because she's worried that he's going to be doing this alone. It's really beautiful when you think about what the grandfather's wish was, right? For him not to be alone that we see at the end of this episode. Do you guys have any thoughts about or feelings about everyone in this town showing up with their offering and acting like it's not a big deal? Right. As if they didn't remember this, as if they did not plan this, as if it mm-hmm. was not coordinated. If it was, everyone's just like, oh, look at us. Oh, here's some food or whatever. Oh, Sean has this like tower of containers. That's like, she's like, yeah, I just had some snacks. I'm like, yeah. there's like <laughs> containers. It's a tower of containers. <laughs> it's like a week's worth of food. I, for I one think person. they realize that he's so unwilling to accept help from people. And so or to admit that he needs anything. And mm. so I think they know that they have to sort of couch it in the, oh, I just had this lying around in order for him to accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone knows it's not true. He does right. too, but it's just kind of like, this is the way we interact so that nobody is uncomfortable. Right. But it's just, it's well, so I mean, funny to me. But it also now makes me think of, what we'll learn at the end of the show, the the Chief Hong origin story, mm-hmm. is that that is what they did way back then, right? They left food at his door. They started asking him to do jobs, right? It's 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 this, you know. He says in some ways they treated me sort of the way you would as like a stray cat, right? It's not like saying it out loud. It's not we were we were worried you would be alone too. Mm-hmm. They're just going to show up and bring the food for his grandfather's memorial the same way they did when he first came home and the same way they do on his birthday. It's just this really beautiful manifestation of like community in action. You know, it really is. And it, it shows how much they love him and care for him and view him as he's, he belongs to the community. He is the community. He's part of, their family and it's i think they just did it was just really beautiful and meaningful and i got very emotional this scene and then the one where hygiene stays all of it okay but she gets crazy jealous when they all come bring stuff because she's like (laughs) well maybe i didn't bring enough or i didn't bring the right thing i mean that's what that's what i love again right every it, it is so beautiful and earnest and right celebrating the way humans can be amazing for one another on the other hand heijin is still heijin right she doesn't cook she bought it and now she feels really kind of like oh like you would feel oh my god all these people cooked all of this amazing thing and i'm here holding this plastic bag of store-bought food you would feel insecure about that you know it's so human i don't want to make us emotional but I'm going to, because on this rewatch, I had never really <laughs> realized 
You totally want to make it emotional. Don't lie to me. (laughs) Camry brought the snow crab. Like she brought the corn. Like the food that she brings to Dushik and Heijin brings them closer together like every time. I had never picked up on the fact that she's the one who brings the snow crab that they're going to eat. Like, (laughs) you shut your stupid, brilliant mouth right now. (laughs) I just, maybe, maybe everybody just needs to pause and kind of walk it off for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do we feel about that, guys? (laughs) (laughs) I I can't. I can't. I know. Like, her food brings them together even when she's gone, but her food, what they eat together is like, what is this inadvertent confession that comes from Heijin? You know, it's just, uh, details are a lot on the show. A lot of people offer to help and Dushik is like, no, 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 I don't need help. I don't need help. Right. Classic Chief Hong. If we, if we think about all of the sort of baby steps that he has to take or, or what Shin Ha-un calls sort of steps of courage, tell me your feelings about the fact that he lets her stay to help. He acknowledges and makes sure to show his appreciation for what she brought, like in consideration of her feelings, and then asks her to stay for the memorial. I will say the one thing that I love on her side of this is she wasn't exactly trying to make her way out. (laughs) And he just kind of starts because I really feel like he wanted her to stay. So he's like, oh, let me hurry up and start this while she's still here. Yeah, he definitely wanted her to stay. I think that was, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but do we have any feelings about the fact that last episode he met her family? And now this episode, he is introducing her to his. On purpose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely on purpose. I I might need one of you guys to talk because I might cry. I mean, it's so poignant. And of course, there's this whole layer that, he, that neither of them really have realized at this point that all of these people who <clears throat> are gone, like her mother and his grandfather... Uh, did meet Mm -hmm. once but it's this is the only you know she is part of his family that was all there bringing that food to him and now he is it's the like mirror image of what happened last episode this is how he can introduce the woman that he has all these feelings for to his family Mm -hmm. i love the way that he talks about his grandfather as if he's still there, you know, like he gives him extra of something. And he's like, oh, he always loved that as if he's re- as if he's really there. And I know part of that is like the ceremony itself, but I think there's an extra layer of it when he's literally introducing her, mm. you know, and acting as if like they're having dinner with his grandpa. And I feel like he's just he's living a certain kind of experience and creating a certain kind of memory there that I'm not even sure he's aware of. As if he's present. Right. Yeah. And that was the time that all three of them got to spend together. And even for her to say, like, I hope we get along. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, like it's present. It's all right now. You know, they're going through it. It's not just. Yeah, this. Think about where the way Heijin 
what Heijin was like at the beginning of the story. And this Heijin that is kneeling next to Dushik and talking to his grandfather as if she is truly meeting him. First of all, she's just so like earnest and adorable. Like it's so like she's awkward, right? Like imagine if you were her in that situation, right? And you're like, this is really, this is a lot. This is really emotional. This is really intimate, right? Do you know, like just to bring that word back again, like emotionally intimate to be sharing in this memorial with him. Like every 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 other memorial that we've seen in the show has been with biological family. So, and that's, I think actually, and I mean, I think, I'm, I'm hard, you know, I'm, I'm not Korean myself. My understanding is that these services are usually for like family. I mean, the community and friends might bring food, but the service itself is really just for family. Yeah, um, no one even like attempted to stay. That's not, it's like you said, I think you're right that it's, yeah. it is very personal. And there would have been more people there were his, you know, mom and dad or whatever still around, but. Yeah. It's just him because he's the only one not not required but almost welcome. He's the only one welcome to this. Mm-hmm. And then he brings her in, which is huge. When he does the double take when she starts talking to his grandfather directly was always like I think I made like a inhuman noise when it happened <laughs> the first time I watched it because he's clearly so like you know he obviously is teasing her right he always has that level of teasing why are you talking like why are you <laughs> introducing yourself and acting like that but he has an emotional response to her doing that and now we know on rewatch that the other person who became his family did the same thing and spoke directly to his grandfather in the same way. And he did the some, same double take. And he actually couldn't hold his emotions in. Like he starts crying in front of his friend. I just like, what do you think's going through his mind kneeling in that room next to her? So I think I think teasing her is definitely a defense mechanism. Because I do think he's very overcome mm-hmm. by what she's doing in that moment. And it just means so much to him. And it's such a big, significant deal. So I think him teasing her is kind of his way to try to put those walls back up mm-hmm. in a setting where it's really freaking hard to have them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, too, that's the moment, whether he... <laughs> consciously i'm not sure but when he can't stop himself right because he has a moment and he gets these very rarely that he's able to watch her and listen to her and she can't look back at him you mm-hmm. know I mean, she's she's directing it to the grandfather and so he just has the opportunity to kind of like take her in and i think that that you know unintended reaction if you will that double take is a sign of like He's in trouble. <laughs> this is not good <laughs> yeah. for his way of life and his way he looks at himself. Like, oops, he just he went from you know like a little cavern into like the freaking Grand Canyon. Like he <laughs> he just fell. Okay, mm. yeah. I mean, because every time he's doing that in this episode, whether it was when she was telling me, "Son, no, nothing happened." 
or here when she's talking to his grandfather, she is showing care and like what a wonderful person she is, right? And that getting a front row seat to how amazing this woman is that you have all of these feelings for is not helpful if you're trying to deny it. No, it's literally the worst thing. <laughs> it's like the least helpful thing ever. <laughs> like stop being so awesome, Haitian. <laughs> I know. And that's what, well, it's exactly what Gino said. That's a lot of what his, you know, teasing and playing like conveys, not conveys, but that's what he's covering up a lot of times is like, oh, well, if I can just act like, you know, oh, she's selfish and she's this and kind of throw those qualities back onto her, maybe they'll stick because <laughs> she's actually amazing. Yeah. And actually, you know, now that you, now that you guys talk about that, the contrast between how he visibly emotionally reacted when he was in college before all of his trauma that happened in Seoul, when his friend spoke to his grandfather that way, and he is like, physically cannot hold the tears in, even though he is trying really hard to do so. And now how we because of Kim Sun-ho's acting, register that that means a lot to him, but he immediately defaults to the teasing. It's it's like this fascinating contrast that shows us how far his how much further up his walls are now versus back when he was in university. Because he couldn't hold it in back then. But yeah, because that well that's what compounded it. Was he already was a certain kind of way after his grandfather? But now, after having lost, you know, the only other person he led into this, mm -hmm. we can't have this this second person being incredible. Nobody needs that. Mm -hmm. I these epilogues are in this show are usually murderous. <laughs> but if you want to think about the fact that the grandfather's wish on Dushik's birthday was that when he would no longer be there, he wouldn't be alone and would be to have a good person in his life. And now the anniversary of his death is pushing that person towards Dushik and pushing Dushik to open up to her. It's just really beautiful writing. You know what also to me is interesting about the differences in their families Heijin's father had hoped that she would have a family. And part of the reason he didn't like Dushik for her in a way was because he didn't have that to offer. He didn't have a big family. But you look at his grandfather and he's just like, no, I just want to make sure he has that one person. Because you can build a family off of that. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's kids, whether it's the community, whatever. But mm. it's interesting to see how they look at it differently for what they both ask for their, you know, essentially their children. Yeah, because it's still just two people. Yeah, that's a really good point. So they're sitting down to eat the crabs that Gamri made. And that's that's fine. <laughs> Gino? Yeah. I remember specifically when we watched this, <laughs> you lost your mind over how, as you put it, already married they are. Yes, totally. Tell me Everything that made you think that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, the way she 
peels his crab for him. <laughs> I mean, she's like getting food for him. I mean, she she's dishing up food for him. He's eating the food. She dishes him. And they're talking together about she remembers how he did he didn't want to have snow crab at the restaurant that they ate at weeks ago. She remembers that tiny little thing that he said that he doesn't even remember saying the the way she remembers those little things about him, the way she you know serves food for him, and everything about like their body language, their unspoken cues, and when she says it takes a lot of love to peel these for somebody, how he kind of stares at her, <laughs> and then she's just like, just eat, and he's like. <laughs> Just eat your face. And he's like, okay, I'll just eat. I mean, it's they're so clearly comfortable with each other at this point, and they don't even realize it. Like it's happened, it's like snuck up on them so mm. completely. Yeah, when it happens, it's terrifying. Especially when one realizes it's the other one doing it. They're like, oh crap. <laughs> like, yeah. they're, just, they're just sitting at a table like a married couple, home alone, right? Yeah. And I think Shenha Un is so good at at highlighting these everyday things that symbolize either being alone or living with someone. And obviously it's at the end of the show and with the proposal, you know, two two pairs of shoes by the door. But what I what I find so poignant about this scene, which as always the show there's this really beautiful poignancy to it, also punctured by humor of he's getting the crab in his dimple. Like this, 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 like this ship's nickname is Dimple Couple, right? And he gets crab that lands like directly into it. And the way the music kind of highlights the humor and the way that she's like, oh, crap when she realizes what she said out loud like all of it is just the acting and the music and the way that it's edited it's just like rom-com magic right like you need to have two very charming actors that are very good at what they do to make a scene about eating crabs this compelling (laughs) you know what I mean but the poignancy to it I was thinking about it and he says that this is the first time he's ever served snow crab in his house. And that's because you don't go to the trouble of eating something that's this difficult when you're eating alone. Eating, like if I even think sort of in where I live in the United States, where eating crabs is this huge communal thing, like in Maryland and D.C., it's this huge communal thing, right? And there's a huge table and everybody gets around it and the crabs are dumped in the middle and you just spend hours because it's so much work and you have to eat like 10 of them to even feel remotely full, right? I would never go to that restaurant by myself and go to all that trouble when I'm eating alone. And so you have this like everyday experience that just he has, he likes eating it, but he has never done it for himself. And now she's doing it for him and she does it without even realizing it. She's just able to take these everyday things and really point out things that are really very moving while also balancing it with a lot of great humor because the scene is a delight. I'm like grinning like an idiot every time I watch the scene and I've watched the scene. I mean, Gino, I don't even know how many times. (laughs) (laughs) They're super awkward after. 
I find it really interesting that this episode is full of spontaneous and inadvertent confessions when that relationship is going to work out. And in contrast, director G has been practicing what he's going to say over and over and over again and cannot get it out unless she calls action. Can you guys unpack everything that is so painful about this confession scene? I think part of what's excruciating is the viewer is we know what he's going to like he we know what he's there for we know what he's going to say and we know what her answer is going to be hmm. and he does on some level but there's st- i mean th- he still has enough hope that he's going to do it anyway but knowing that somebody who's in love with someone else is going to confess and we're going to watch and we know and it's somebody that we like that we genuinely like it's like mm. a train wreck it's kind of a train wreck he says her name like he can't (laughs) it's so brutal it's so brutal he says something that's really interesting though the way he describes his feelings for her now that we know how his story is going to end up i would love to get both of your thoughts about it he says i didn't know if the butterflies were past or current feelings I concluded I like you even more. I think he's he still doesn't know. And I think that's actually evidenced by the fact that I almost feel like, like, yeah, he's saying action and cut. And I know this is very literal, but I feel like he's having to play a character to get this done. Mm. To like build up that security, you know? And so he's he's asking you to call on the scene because that's exactly what it is. This is a thing I have played out in my head 800 bajillion times over the last 14 or whatever years. Mm. And I have to get it right because I only get one take. You know, and so I feel like he's really incorporating this into just what he does naturally for work. It's like I I have to now play out this scene for this person, even though I've done it a million times myself. Yeah, that's so interesting because all the other confessions are, oh, my God, I just confessed. I just said that. I just said that over peeling crabs or I have to drive all night and run and I can't hold it in or I literally can't hold it in any longer. And then he kisses her, right? Every time we've seen feelings that are like going to pan out (laughs) and are for sort of the long haul, it's like this, something that's like bubbling up to the surface that's uncontrollable. And this is the exact opposite of that. You're right. It's like a a scene. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. But he also gets, you know, he also gets to walk away from this and have zero regrets, which. Oh, no, the story handles it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that he did it. Oh, me too. Which is like something I feel like I couldn't say in so many stories that play out the same way. You know, it's like someone comes to tell them and then they decide, oh, wait, it's the other person. Like it can be so terribly cliche in a million shows, but I, I like the way that it was done. And I like the fact that he did it. I don't think I could say that in anything I could think of, at least for any other love triangle that's ever existed in my eyeballs. Yeah. Because as excruciating as it is, I actually rewatch it <laughs> because usually these scenes, I'm like, I never want to watch that again because it was so painful, but they both are going to glean realization from this because hate you Autumn, you 
instantly sees from Heijin's face that she is realizing, I may have had feelings for this guy in the past. I may have had a crush on him ever since. I may have been really excited when he came back to town, but I don't feel the same way. And he's going to know, he's not going to have to wonder what if anymore. You know? Well, and on his side, and he's not doing this purposely. Most people don't. But she may have had a little bit of it too. The one that got away is a very safe person to kind of hang your hat on, you know, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's not usually going to happen again. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, what if? And it keeps you, it, it gives you a justification to remain stagnant. Yeah, but this, but this, what he feels for the writer is tied up is entwined with everything in in his life. Exactly. And is very high stakes. Because it's like his career, his, like everything. She's entwined in his life in a way that Haitian hasn't been for 14 years. And I feel like, I feel like this is his test run. Hmm. And I'm okay with it. (laughs) For the guy who hesitates? Yeah. 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 Do you guys have any feelings about... Hong Tu Sheik sitting alone in his house and talking to his grandfather about how he misses Heijin now that she's not there. I oh love my gosh. it. Talking about how much space she takes up and then saying, but it still feels empty. Like, stop it. Stop it. I, <laughs> I, I know. I like wanted to just like throw something at the my laptop because it was just so perfect and cute. And I, I, I loved it so much. I like squealed and I... Uh, yeah. It's one of it the horrible. the few times because people it is highly overused. I'm going to call this a narration because obviously, you know, he's speaking to someone kind of, but it's really for ultimately the audience. And this this is a very not only acceptable but welcomed use of a of a narration in the story. Yeah, it's interesting because when you read the interview in the script book with Shin Ha-un, she talks about how a character that is as isolated as Dushik is very difficult to to write. And she had to do a lot of things, for example, like put a lot of books in his hands to give the audience clues, right? Not only into his past, but what he was feeling because he lives alone and he doesn't open up to people in the community. And that's usually as an audience, like we... That's how we learn information about characters, right? Yeah, conversations. Yeah. So now she has this rare opportunity where he, there's a reason, it's his grandfather's memorial, right? So there's a reason why he's speaking to him. And it gives us a chance to listen to Hong Jushi talk to a member of his family about what he's feeling. And what I find so poignant about it is if you remember the first time that she came to his house where they drank the wine. She asked him, don't you ever feel lonely in this house? And he was like, no, you know, I've got the town, whatever. I don't feel lonely. Now he recognizes his loneliness when she's not there. Right. It's the, yeah. it's not loneliness in the sense of there used to just be a lack of people there. It's specifically the lack of her and their dynamic and what he sees as building. Yeah. I mean, I think it shows a lot of like change in his situation. And one other thing that I really loved about it is it's, it's one of the very few instances where we actually have insight into his point of view with respect to his feelings 
for Heijin. Like we really don't get a lot of scenes that are that are showing us exactly what he's thinking and feeling with respect to her. And this is really one of the first sort of unfiltered you know, not through her eyes, what he's doing and saying, just him and his grandfather in a setting where, you know, he feels he can be completely honest. And it really kind of took my breath away for that reason as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's when you start to get like the tingles of like, oh, this, this is on, <laughs> right? Like things are moving forward because it's a really big deal that he's, talking about his feelings out loud. And Gino, to your point, the only other people that he ever does that with are Gamri and director G. Those are the only two people later on when they have, I mean, he's going to have that conversation with Gamri, but he's going to kind of hide the ball. But later on when they are at that impasse, it's, it's actually a, now that I think about it, like a really big deal that he opens up about how he's feeling to director Xi about Heijin with, with respect to their friendship, because it's so rare that he does this. The thing that I find really kind of tragic about how this confession at the end of the show almost went down is he feels so much for her. But as of this point, we are still heading towards him rejecting her. And that is like staggering when you think about it because he's feeling a lot and it's really, it just makes my heart hurt. If we could check in on our girls, Misan and Heijin, they've just had a hell of a last 24 hours and these two friends sit down. They've each had really kind of painful confession scenes (laughs) with director Xi and Yoon Chol. Talk to me about how well these two friends know each other. And how they assess the other's emotional state. I love that no matter how old the two of these women get, they act just like middle school girls together. (laughs) Squealing and hugging and like doing their thing and crying and always being more concerned about the other one. But in this one, they're calling each other out a little bit, which is nice. Totally. They absolutely are 100% correct about the other. Misson is like, I don't understand what's complicated about Director G. Like, on paper, he's what you want, so it must be about Chief Hong, right? <laughs> She's like, okay, so let's not talk about that anymore. How about you, right? Like, you really like him. Why are you backing down? That's an excellent question, isn't it? But I also, like, when I rewatch this scene, I think about how, I think very, at the very beginning of this podcast, beat, we talked about how rare Misson is in a rom-com that she is not just a best friend who's there as a device to allow the protagonist to talk about what she's feeling. Misson has her own story and her own like romance and her own arc that she has to go on. And she is just as much to talk about as Heijin. Like this conversation, this scene actually can't happen unless she has that because Misson is such a well-written supporting character. Yeah, for sure. And, and so much too of her arc doesn't even have anything to do with the main couple it may show parallels sometimes but not only does she have her own arc like she's a separate part of the story tell me everything that you love about this road trip that they take together (laughs) and when they're driving out together like two again middle schoolers like should they be driving i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm a little bit concerned 
concerned about like all the high fives and all the stuff Asian is doing in the car. I'm like, oh my god, keep your eyes on the road. She's such a she's such a dork. I love it so much. Like she's a stunningly beautiful woman, but she is like all of her hand gestures. Like she's such a dork rocking out to her favorite k-pop band like it's the dos song from the concert and they're just they're such they're just such like dorks together i love it like i can't even think of like another word and i'm that's a super gen x word but i can't think of any other way to describe how adorable the two of them are together and it's like honestly it's a really good life choice considering the last couple days that they've had and like to avoid these two guys at this point and like go on a girl's trip it's nice to just see them both like let themselves out too yeah and i think it really just once again underscores how strong their friendship is and how important they are to each other that they have all this crazy stuff going on with the men, but they're just going to put a pin in that for now because they need a girl's weekend. And I just think that, you know, that's rare in television where the women are like, no, we're just going to, you know, especially in romantic comedies or, you know, we're just going to put that to the side and we're going to just focus on us and our friendship right now and what our friendship needs and what we want to do with each other. And, you know, this show just does such a beautiful job of showing their friendship and it has its own arc and is just as important to the story as any other storylines. So mm -hmm. the fact that they went on this road trip and the reasons for doing it even leaving apart what happens on the road trip, which itself is very monumental. I just love that this was part of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's like female friendship. And we don't like, you know, other than the best friend that is kind of there to be like, oh, do you like him? Oh, did you guys break up? <laughs> Have those like check-in scenes. You know, we don't see a lot of that, or at least not as much as I wish we did. So I really like to rewatch the face Chief Hong makes when they have to call him about the curling iron. And he's like, why? Like, where are you guys? And they're like, we're in Seoul. And he's like, oh, you are? When are you coming back? <laughs> it's so like, dude, it's a good thing nobody can see you right now because your feelings are showing. I know. Um, it's like internal panic alarms <laughs> going off. <laughs> when he walks into her disaster of a room... And we have the like comedy of, you know, like the total opposites attract because his house is meticulous and hers is like, you know, her closet vomited everywhere because she's going on a trip. And I personally am a Haitian in life. So I like very much support her <laughs> like whirlwind mess making. But he's like, I knew she'd be messy. <laughs> we expected this. It's okay. And then he almost falls. <laughs> we get a lot of things out of order, right? So now we have to put it all back into order. Now we know that we that the photograph that he, you know, the, the thing that he stops and sees that ends the scene is the photograph where he now realizes that Heijin was this little girl on the beach. He also knows from their first, basically, sleepover, why she was at the beach that day. And now he's got to take all of the things that he was feeling from the last night, know that they have this connection, which is something that he distinctly remembers, which 
because it was a day that he then went to take his photograph that he cherishes with his grandfather. And now he has to go talk to Gamri. Talk to me about how that goes, guys. Dude's about to have a rough night. He's not getting stabbed with <laughs> <or> that. <laughs> she she smacks him on his stab wound and then says Serves him right. Should have thought about that before you jumped in front of a knife for her. <laughs> she just has had enough of his bullshit. I mean, <laughs> she's just she's like, listen. I'm old. I have seen it all. You're not fooling me. Share, get off the pot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say it like that, but. That's what she meant. That's what she meant. And you can tell he really, like, he he really listens to what she's saying. Yeah. It hits him. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he tries his old, like, no, 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 not this again. We're just friends. And then she, like, lays it on him. And she knows she gives him. Could could be, should, (laughs) should replace all other, like the Justin Timberlake gif or the Sure Jan from the Brady Bunch. Her face should replace all things on the internet when it comes to. uh, Please. (laughs) Yeah. Bitch, please. Exactly. But, you know, I, again, but, you know, there's like the humor to that because her face is just like, are you kidding me? I mean, she knows him better than anybody. And, but then the wisdom, like the writing of, I turned 80 this year. I can now see through people like I see through water. And she sent out like the wisdom in life may seem long, but it's really not. Throw away unnecessary thoughts and be honest with yourself. Do you guys have any thoughts about like how straightforward that wisdom is and how hard it is to do that? It's very hard to do that. I mean, I think even like outside the context of the show, like that's excellent advice for anybody, but actually implementing that is a lifelong struggle for many people. I mean, I, I I struggle with that, but I do think because she's not beating around the bush with him and is really blunt and is unwilling to accept the deflection that he falls back on with everybody else. And even with her, a lot of the time, I think really, even if he has no idea how he's going to implement her tough love advice to him, I think it really does sink in. Yeah. This whole episode these few days that they're going through, honestly, is like the perfect storm of, there's no way he can say no. Like all of it just pushes him and pushes him to that point. And then she literally pushes him like his mouth closed. And he just, I think, I I think it's really cool though, that this is a precursor to that. Yeah. I think if anybody was going to get through to him, it's Gamry. That said, he's still going to say no. It's he, when, when Heijin runs up at the end of this episode like if we can if we follow the through line of the day dushik is having he is coming from this conversation is clearly rattled by it by the end because he doesn't have anything to say right he just is kind of sitting with it and when she comes back to ganjin he is sitting outside by the water as he always is when he's contemplative and basically 
agonizing over knowing how deeply he feels for her, but he can't, he's like half of this confession scene we're going to get to the end of, he's going to say no. That's how up in his head he is. So when Gamry says, throw away unnecessary thoughts, that is literally the battle that Dushik is sort of waging internally because we we know now he's showing out loud what his heart is but these this list of reasons which Shin Ha-un basically is like saying he's holding on to until the very last moment he's like still stuck in it and he's just sitting there by the water like torturing himself the editing is really interesting they often go from Dushik to Chohi and so when Camry's advice, throw away unnecessary thoughts and be honest with yourself, it cuts to Chohi and Hajong. Do you guys have any thoughts about this scene where Hajong is basically remembering Chohi's family and asking her about her family and kind of reaches out to her to connect on a friendship basis in a way that she really hasn't so far? So he's been trying, but Ha Zhang has been, for you know, all of her own reasons with her husband and their own history, a little bit guarded with with Cho He. I love this. I feel so bad for Cho He. And I think that that Ha Zhang finally kind of saw this for what it was. Everybody was a little confused, of course, when she came back, but it is so obvious that this poor woman has no one in her life. She came back, her mother's already dead, her brother is gone he treated her like crap anyway nobody like she couldn't be herself with anybody at all and now she's just like fully alone so i think that the way that hajang reaches out and really is really important and i think that it's another instance in this episode that shows okay wait a minute i'm gonna care more about you than me because mm-hmm. Hajong like really doesn't want to deal with this and she just doesn't want to see her because it reminds her of so much stuff. And she stops and says, you know, okay, wait a minute. I, I need to to put this other human above myself right now. And there's a lot there's a lot of symbolism in this episode about who is eating with who and who is not. Right? So Tushik and Heijen are sharing a meal. When Heijen sits down with Director Zhi, she's already eaten. The only person eating is Director Xi. Now Cho He and Ha Zheng, at first Ha Zheng is just sitting there and offering food to her. And then the scene closes with her picking up her chopsticks, remembering the food that she likes, offering it to her, and then eating with her. So there's a lot of symbolism about sort of whether it's friendship whether it's romantic love, whether it's the absence of romantic love that is wrapped up in sort of this symbolism of who is sharing food with one another. But one of the sort of, I find so tragic about Cho He is that she is essentially like Dushik. She has lost her mother. We now know that they had a very rocky relationship because her mother obviously did not accept her for who she was. So he still went back and took care of her. And when Ha Zheng remembers, oh, but don't you have a brother? That brother is horrible, right? Like threatening to basically commit her because of her sexual orientation. 
And so when she says, no, my brother now lives in the United States, we now know that that is fraught with all kinds of trauma for her. And she's now essentially like Dushi and come to Ganjin and she's going to find her own family, right? I mean, she basically, when Ha Zhang says to her, loneliness must have drawn you back here. I think it's really, it really, uh, it, it both hurts my heart, but then it also is ultimately fills it back up <laughs> to borrow sort of what Christy Golden said in the last podcast. Both Dushik and Shohi come back to Ganjin because they are very, very lonely people. And both of them find a found family in this place. She certainly does by the end of the story. So that takes us back to the girls' road trip in Seoul. And if you guys have any feelings about fashionista Heijin, who loves clothes so much that we later see her galloping like a pony through them, <laughs> but she is walking around this department store absolutely listlessly except for men's clothing. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious that some of her priorities have changed. And I guess I, when I was watching the episode, I couldn't tell. I mean, I think it was probably both of the things I'm about to say. I think number one, part of it is her priorities have shifted a little bit. But yep. I think also some of it is she's still so very preoccupied with what's going on with Dushik. I do wonder if, because I mean, we see her in a department store in another episode later after they're together, where she seems to get her shopping mojo back. (laughs) 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 So I do think that some of it is a shifting priorities, but you know, the more, I, I think it also just shows that like her head's not really in the game. Yeah. But it's also, if we're going to talk about her love language, her love language is gifts. Because when she's so excited, <laughs> and, and it, it ties all up, it's so beautiful, it ties up so beautifully, right? The flashback was her buying those shoes as an act of self-love and asserting her, her worth, right? Now she's wandering around this department store and she just wants to buy things for him. <laughs> and that's when she goes on that super enthusiastic shopping. She's torturing him by making him try on 80,000 outfits, but it's because she wants to buy a suit for him, Mm -hmm. right? And and it concludes with another act of self-love when she buys that necklace for herself, right? But this is like her love language, whether it's to show love for herself or she's in love with this guy. And that means she's going to pull out every plaid shirt she can find in this department store because it reminds, you know, her of him. And she's thinking about this would look good on him, right? Like... I don't know if, I don't really think Chief Hong would ever wear the, is it like the Calvin Klein kind of ribbed <laughs> mock turtleneck that she looked yeah. at at the end? I don't, I don't think he's going to pull off that one, but all the rest of them are like, it, it goes from like, you could almost think about what she's thinking about. Cause she like, looks at like, kind of like a Hawaiian type shirt. <laughs> and then she's like finding the button downs and even the things she's picking out are like perfect for him. Misan is like, what the hell is going on? I want to read to you really quickly to remind you just to set up this restaurant scene back in episode three hey jin said the following to jushik when they were driving back from seoul i'd love to have some wine by the han river that restaurant has great pasta i can't believe i have to go back to the boondocks guys we are at a restaurant on the han river what's changed 
she has, everything has. Because before, I think a lot of that was about status. She's not talking about who she'd be with. You know, it's just, oh, by that fancy river in this fancy restaurant instead of being out here in this really crappy country area. But now that she's used to being there, that she has grown beyond it being a place and more where her community is, all of this stuff is is a bit emptier. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Yeah, I think that this, there are many, many reasons why the last 20 minutes of this episode are some of my most favorite TV ever. But it's because we have been on this 10 episode journey with the Haitian that we met on the bridge in episode one, who was racing past all those other runners, right? This realization of how she feels about Dushi is as much about how she feels about him and the romantic like culmination of the slow burn as it is about her character arc and what's important to her. And we're going to get into all of about the rain <laughs> in a moment, but the details of the scene, they're eating imported lobster cooked in butter. Her point of view in how she sees the world has literally changed because now the river seems narrow compared to the sea that she's used to seeing in Gunjan. Like the details and the writing to show us how much Heijin has changed, not tell us, show us in all of these little details that call back to things that go back many, many, many episodes ago. But it's as much about her, her priorities, as you all said, how Ganjin is becoming her home, that she is sitting in this place that she started the story that she couldn't wait to get back to. And now all she can think about is how much sweeter snow crab tastes versus lobster or how, how the river seems narrow when it never used to before. Nissan is like Gamry. Can you guys talk about her reaction to how strangely her friend is acting <laughs> in this scene? She sees right through her. Yeah. She's right through her. She knows exactly. I mean, just the look on her face. <laughs> when she talks about, you know, just everything that she says, I think she knows exactly what's going on in her mind. Even if Eugen doesn't realize it herself. Yeah. They walk outside thinking they're going to go to a sauna. It's unexpectedly raining. We're going to unpack this scene in a lot of different ways. I just want to lead off with emotionally how you all felt when you were watching it. I looked at it and I was just like, go girl, because I felt like she felt free and stripped of a lot of these burdens and, and of the, a lot of the weight that she puts on herself. Yeah, it was a real moment of reckoning for her and just a big moment of, of realization, like a lot of, you know, the things that she had been holding on to, a lot of the unnecessary thoughts that, you know, Gemri alluded to earlier. I think they're just in that moment are just totally stripped away and she knows what she wants and she knows what she has to do. And I definitely stood up and cheered. <laughs> I did, however, get very, very stressed at her leaving Misa in there. Like, what is she supposed to do <laughs> yeah. now? Can we talk about that for a minute? Like, she could have been like, come on, we get like, in the car. Like, but 
No. Like you left your best, you you stranded her. Like how is she gonna get home? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of layers. I think Shinmin Na's acting for the whole last twenty minutes of this episode are is just really remarkable. I, I, we you watch her face go on a journey, right? Like we've talked a lot about the sort of facial expressions, right, and what we have to glean. Like you. In this scene, you are watching someone come to realization. And I think that we would have known that even if we didn't get to see that inside her head is apparently has hacked my like Tumblr account and has all of my favorite gifts as well of their like romantic journey that we were analyzing all the way here. But her, I think her sort of acting, the scene relies mostly on her just emoting. Right. And obviously there's the music and there's the editing to let us know what's going on in her head. But I think we knew before that even started playing. I wanted to read two things that are both written by Shen Ha-un. The first is her character description as to basically the backstory of why Heijin always carries an umbrella, even on sunny days. It's very interesting that she doesn't have one with her. This is from the script book. The only thing that Heijin couldn't do anything about, this is back when she was in school, is the sudden downpour of rain. As she watches other mothers come to pick up her friends with an umbrella during a sudden downpour, Heijin sneaks up into her classroom to hide. Heijin's habit of carrying an umbrella, even on sunny days, must have started from then. Rain was loneliness and anxiety to Haitian. This goes all the way back, right? The first thing that she remembers is the advice that he gave her about holding your hands up and walking out into the rain, even when it's unexpected. She is doing that now, literally following his advice to physically do that in the rain while she is emotionally embracing the most unexpected thing that's probably ever happened to her, that she has feelings for this guy who is, as she will tell him, the opposite of her in every way. This is not according to her plan. I think in this moment, she realized there's a lot more that you can't control besides rain. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was really just, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like, Dushik and Haijin, they have they have each have their own character arc. And I feel like they comment they they sort of like their their character their characters grow sort of in their arc is sort of how do I want to put this? In different episodes. So like I really feel like in so many ways, this scene right here is the culmination of her entire character arc she has grown so much and you can't see me doing this but as I say arc and grow I'm like moving my hand in an arc over my head (laughs) yes yeah but like she's grown and changed so much and I feel like all of it comes to a head right here she walks out into the rain without an umbrella. And I think it is, it's a metaphor for her just embracing the unknown and things that aren't planned and just embracing that. And I 
do think that Dushi, his character arc happens later. I mean, or a lot of his per- character trajectory, I say again as I sweep my arm over my head, <laughs> happens <laughs> in the final third of the show. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for her right here, this is like, boom, this is, this is her. Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to what we were talking about, sort of chain reactions of self-realization. So their arcs go, it's almost like they, it's not that they, it's not like they aren't growing throughout the whole story because they are, but this is like the culmination of the part of her arc that was about, as you were saying, embracing risk, embracing the unexpected, right? In Jushik's words, you're bound to meet unexpected situations in life, even if you use an umbrella. She had a whole plan about why she was moving to the boondocks so she could get back to Seoul. And now she's standing in Seoul and she tells me, son, I'm going to Gonjin. And so it's about embracing everything that you said. That's because of her experiences with him. Once, once she goes back there and they're then in a relationship, that is what then in turn pushes him right to sort of open up and do the healing and and like emotionally opening up that he needs to do it's almost like there's like a baton passed right and it's not like he hasn't been growing and taking the steps along the way here and it's not like she's not going to continue to grow in sort of her patience and and sort of like her willingness to wait for him even though she's an impatient person that doesn't like you know gray areas but but there is that kind of passing off of it there these are always doozies but we have talked a lot on the podcast about the letter that Shin Ha-un wrote from Jushik's perspective in the future to Heijin that is in the script book well Heijin writes a letter to Jushik as well and she sits down to write it at the end of this night after they have confessed and talked on the phone this is the character in her own words talking about this night and this moment. She says, as she's sitting down to write the letter, it starts off with, the reason why I'm writing this is, for some reason, I feel like it would be a waste if these feelings would disappear. It feels like the raindrops keep popping out of my body. Something bubbly and itchy comes up like soda bubbles. She goes on to say, Hanban Zhang, did you know that it's the first time in my life to confess? I don't know a thing about courage. There was a sudden shower in Seoul earlier. I stepped into the rain with my own feet. But suddenly, that day comes to mind. The day when Chief Hong held my hand and ran in the rain. The day we played in the water together. You said it before, where is life without rain? You're right. In fact, I got a lot of sudden showers when I was young. I didn't know that I'd suddenly tell you a story like this. Somehow I feel like I can tell you stories like this too. And that's about how it was my mom's dream to live until my elementary school entrance ceremony. In the picture of my entrance ceremony, I have flowers and my mother is there too. My mom told me to dream a bit bigger and told me how nice it would be if she were there to live until my graduation ceremony. But I guess my mom didn't know that once I got admitted into school, there are more moments where a mom is needed. And then she goes on to talk about what happened in school. It was raining heavily, but I didn't have an umbrella with me. My friends were running to their mom's umbrellas, and there was only me who was standing alone. 
I don't know whether it's because of that memory or not, but I always bring an umbrella with me, even if it doesn't rain. But now I have a different thought. I think that now when I'm with Chief Hong, it's okay to freely splash around in the rain. Then I will no longer feel cold and worried. Even if something not good is going to happen, I think I will not be afraid anymore. And I remember that moment, the moment when drunk Chief Hong leaned on me and told me not to go anywhere. Now I realize. I realize how lonely Chief Hong was. We are so different, but maybe our shadows are somehow similar. If she had said this in the show, just those last couple lines, I would have broken my television and cried for three days. (laughs) Yep, same. The prose in that is absolutely ridiculous. It's astonishing. It's so beautiful. Similar shot. I mean, what? (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, that that idea of, you know, this is going to lead into this speech about how different they are. The idea that their shadows are the same. The loss and the loneliness that is what brought them together in the first place. That's why he watched her on that beach. It just reminds me of Weathering Heights. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. Mm, yeah. And it's just that idea of like, it doesn't matter how different we appear on the surface because of our preferences or the way we act or the decisions we make. It's like something at the very core of who these people are connects to the other one. Yeah. It's also the idea that it is something that is beautiful and really sort of life changing for both of them. That is born of loss that that's something good can come from some of their hardest memories, right? I mean, the idea that if rain always symbolized the day at school that she was the only one without a mother and loss and anxiety and trying to manage risk, and now rain makes her think of him. And that gives her the courage to do something she's never done before. You know, it, it, it's it's so symbolic of what their story together is is about is about finding human connection no matter what you have been through and you know i I feel like we focus a lot on what dushik has been through but heijin you know that that story of a little girl standing at school in the rain without her the only one without a mother bringing her umbrella like breaks me yeah she's had a a very different kind of path of it but their loneliness bonds them together so deeply it's not the only thing it would be very toxic if it was the only thing but they can understand each other's lives so on such a deeper level that they both have those experiences of just being all they had yeah there's a lot of beautiful things so the shadows but also the idea of like the rain being like what internally what she's feeling right raindrops bubbling up Like she can't hold it in. She's literally going to run in the rain, get in a car, drive all those hours back soaking wet because she can't wait till tomorrow. Like that's not Heijin who makes a list and plans her life for 99 years. Her poor best friend though. (laughs) She calls her a crazy wench. (laughs) Yeah, 
but maybe Haitian went to, I mean, maybe Misan, I like to think that Misan went to the spot, like went back to the hotel and kind of like enjoyed the night on Haitian's bill. Yeah, I, I, I she earned that. Like yeah. it was already paid off. So like, let's do this thing. But yeah, totally right, Gino. I mean, she earned it. Like you just she left did. the girl stand in there. Come on now. I love those. She finally says, she says, congratulations on the level up. Like you finally figured it out, girl. <laughs> the other thing that I really love from this moment from the beginning was if the last episode ended with both men on their way to confess to the female protagonist, everything about this is about Haitian's agency. It's her realization it's her choice to go back to Gonjen. She is the one that's going to confess first. And this turns a lot of romantic storytelling, romantic comedy storytelling on its head. Because the agency, it is all about the woman in terms of getting there and actually saying this out loud first. I just want to agree so hard with you on the agency thing. And that's part of why I love this episode so much, because it really, you know, it is all on her. If she had not taken the steps that she took to confess and be as assertive about it as she was, even now they might still be dancing around each other. Like, I mean, she made this happen and go, hey, Jen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is. If you think about, I'm trying to think about all of my favorite rom-com moments. It is like Love Actually and Colin Firth, you know, flying on Christmas Eve to Portugal and walking through the town while everybody follows him to propose in broken Portuguese, right? And say a million things wrong. It is, we'll get to it, but this is going to contrast with like when Harry met Sally can you think of a movie where it's the girl running in slow motion to the music to be the one to confess? I can't think of it, but only because the ones that would have been that way, the writers messed them up and they never got together at all. (laughs) Yeah. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying. They kind of tried it in Doctor Who with Ten and Rose, but it didn't, there was like, different dimensions involved it didn't work out i guess bridget jones there's kind of a handoff right oh yeah yeah bridget jones she you know he shows up but then she's running through the snow but he was when harry met sally which is like the the gold standard it's him yeah Um, which we're gonna we're gonna spend some time unpacking that it brings us back to what we talked about at, at the beginning of this podcast There are a lot of things that the end of this episode does that are classic, just excellently executed rom-com culmination, right? She's going to drive there. It doesn't matter if she like her clothes are wet. She's going to drive there all night. When she first gets there, she's not going to be able to find him, right? Because you need that tension. Phone's going to ring and you're going to be like, where is he? Then you're going to have the camera pan in like slow motion. And I love that we are behind her head and in her perspective, seeing him contemplative by the water when in the pilot, it was the reverse. And we were in his perspective, like right on, on the surfboard. And so they've like reversed it, right? Like we're seeing this whole thing from her point of view. And then she finds him. And then you just get that 
we had a friend who came on a podcast long ago and she called it the tingles when you just are like, it's just, you just have this like kind of like nervous emotional response. I get the tingles. Like I got goosebumps because I'm like, this is it. And I actually didn't, I didn't realize that he was going to turn her down maybe as much as other people who maybe were watching K-drama more regularly up until that point were very nervous that he was going to turn her down. Oh yeah. It was, it was, I think a lot of people were very worried. I was, I didn't know for sure what was going to happen. I did. They definitely build up the tension, right? Mm -hmm. But everything about this is just like classic, just brilliantly executed. It's the big moment, except it's the, it's the woman's moment. We talked about what's going on through Dishik's head, right? He's sitting there like agonizing over this. All of a sudden, the woman he's thinking about appears. You guys, she is literally running, beaming, yelling his name. And then she just flat out says, I couldn't wait until tomorrow to say this. I like you. Can we just talk about how brave that is? So incredibly brave because she doesn't know what he's going to say back to her. Yeah. It's just like, he's no idea bursting joyfully from her. Yes. Another part Mm -hmm. of the unexpected. She's throwing her hand in, you know, and saying, Mm -hmm. this is it. She's Mm -hmm. showing her hand Mm -hmm. and now he gets to make a decision and she doesn't know what it's going to be, but she did it anyway. Yeah. And she's never done this before in her life. This is the first time in her life she's ever done this. And she's just so, she is so brave. It is so, it's like such a wonderful character moment for her. If you think about all of the times that she put him down, said they weren't a good match. She really earns, like, I I think she earned this moment, but he also earned this moment, right? Think back to like when she was talking about how they were not a good match and she put him down, right? This is the speech Heijin gives. This is the woman confessing to the man. I am one of those people who plans every second of their lives. I don't like people crossing the line or crossing it myself. I am fond of expensive shoes. I'm your complete opposite. We're not compatible in personality or blood type. It's like a penguin who eats krill and a polar bear who eats sea lions. But to hell with all that because I like you. Tell me your thoughts about that speech. I think that it goes back to something that we were talking about earlier about how what made it, I think I think it ties into the letter that the writer put into the script book that says that they are sort of you know they might have different personalities, they may have different interests, they may have different things that they like, but at core they have you know, they're made of the same stuff and they have things that are, that go beyond just more surface level things that they have really in common. And she able, she just sort of sweeps it away with her hand when she says, I don't care about any of that because I like you. And I think it really just goes to how deep her affection is for him and how alike they are in ways that matter. Yeah. And she refutes out loud to him every obstacle she ever brought up before. Yeah, she does. And then basically is like, I'm following your advice to hell with all of it. And now it puts him in the spot of, oh, crap, she followed my advice. <laughs> like, ah. Before we get to his reaction, 
And again, Shin, I just think Shin, Shimena's acting and she is so lovely. Like the way she, her, like her face is just so like open and, and vulnerable. And she kind of like falters a little bit when she's like trying to get this out. Right. And she stops. She's like, oh, like, how do I say this? Right. It feels the way that it's acted. It doesn't feel like a speech. Like it actually feels like it's just like coming out. I wanted really quickly, our friend Emma B, who came on the podcast a couple episodes ago, when this episode came out, she made what I thought was such an interesting point. She contrasted Haitian's speech with one of the most famous rom-com speeches by Academy Award-nominated Nora Ephron in When Harry Met Sally. At the end of that movie, it's the man... Billy Crystal, who's running across New York City on New Year's Eve because he's realized that Sally is the love of his life. It's also a opposites attract, but friendship and sort of emotional intimacy comes and then the romance comes kind of after the emotional intimacy and friendship. In When Harry Met Sally, it's the man talking. And he says, I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. And then he goes on and on. And at the end, he says, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Can I hear y'all's thoughts about what is different about Haitian speech, but what is the same in terms of sort of the spirit behind it? I mean, I love Billy's speech too. <laughs> it's a great, it's one of the best all-time speeches for sure. <laughs> like, let's be clear here. But it is very different. I mean, it's, I sort of feel like the overall message they're trying to get across is not different necessarily but the way they get there is it's the point of view yeah it's the point of view i versus you yeah yeah i I versus you meaning i'm the woman this is everything about me and this is who i am yeah she's taking ownership and being extremely self-aware yeah and i love you anyway like that's what's that's what's different, right? Because in the when Harry met Sally scene, it, I agree, it's beautifully written, right? And I got goosebumps back when I watched it. But it's the woman who's passive and and listening to the speech. It's the man pointing out what's different and basically being like, "I love you anyway." And I'm not. This is not a critique. I'm just contrasting the two speeches yeah. because they're written decades apart, right? Now it's yeah, the Harry met Sally is 35 years old, which is horribly depressing. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, but this, but this is what, and I don't know, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that this is like what's in Shin, was in Shin Hao's mind all already. I'm just like, I think it was a very interesting point about how the point of view was different. Mm-hmm. It's the woman talking. The woman is not compromising who she is to change for the man. She is owning who she is. And she's saying, I like you anyway, and to hell with all that. And what is beautiful about the spirit behind it is whether it's Billy Crystal at the end of When Harry Met Sally or it's Hei Jin at the end of episode 10, as soon as you figure that out, you're going to run across the country or run across New York City and tell that person as fast as you can. You guys, he was still going to say no. 
Shen Ha-un says, when he steps forward and says, Miss Dentist I, Shen Ha-un wrote in the script book, I didn't think of any lines after that, but it's true that he was going to reject her. I think she knew that too. Heijin. I think Heijin knew that. Yeah. She looks terrified. Yep. Whereas when, you know, when director Xi expressed his feelings, he was kind of like, it, it was a crapshoot. But I think it's it's much stronger in this one in that she actually anticipates being turned down. But it doesn't matter. She does it anyway. Talk to me about the moment when she puts her hands on his lips. That was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I have I've written so many like dirty fanfics and like that was a good anyway. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, I just like I need to set the stage. I-, I watched this with my teenage daughter. You know how teenagers are, right? She was in my lap, like literally shrieking, and I think my I think she might have like broken my arm. Like we were absolutely losing our shit at yeah. this point. And it's there's so much about it, right? It's so intimate. Right? The way they build the tension up with the scene, it's like she bursts out with these feelings and you're like, oh my God, she's like so brave. And then you're like, oh my God, but is he going to turn her down? And then she literally puts her hand out and stops him from talking. And I think the only thing that was going to work was to get Dushik, like to get Dushik out of his head, is to not be able to say, his entire list of reasons and just have to sit there with how he feels while she talks about how she feels. Yeah. You can't rattle off your list, buddy. (laughs) You're just kind of stuck. Yeah. And I think it's also important that she says, I'm not asking anything for you. Yeah. And I mean, she wasn't finished talking yet. (laughs) I mean, it was just generally rude. (laughs) Well, it's also about agency. She's not done yet. You're right. Right. I think that hearing that she couldn't help it anymore, that she tried to deny it but couldn't, I think it was hearing the last piece of what she had to say. I mean, obviously, that's what changed his mind. Yeah. Um, So it's good that she covered his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we may not have had another six episodes. (laughs) She had enough, right? She would have, you know, had the practice and eventually gone back to Seoul. He would have continued to be Chief Hong, and that would have been it. (laughs) What a boring story. (laughs) Kind of of dissatisfying in a number of ways. (laughs) Well, Shin Ha-un said in her interview, he collapses at Heijin's words. I can't help it either. Gino, I remember what the five to six days after this end of this episode were like, I want you. This is just when we like flail. (laughs) Talk to me about this kiss. The kiss. Yeah. Everything. (laughs) Everything. Gina was not ready for that. Because we watched this gift set. I know that, you know, every detail of it. Like I know every detail of it. (laughs) Because we watched it 
80,000 times. And that was just the video recording of it. Like how many views did it get on YouTube? Right. It, it, it like broke the internet, but also yeah. the gift sets of mm-hmm. the dissecting every moment. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was a good kiss. <laughs> I mean, you know, and the, there was good use of hands on faces oh, and it was tentative and then it wasn't. Mm. Yeah. And I think when he pulled back, so he kissed her and then he pulled back and said, I can't, I, I can't help it anymore either. He had like tears in his eyes. It's so emotional. It is. And then he kissed her some more. And you see when he comes back in, because yes, I have memorized this. <laughs> it the, the camera is on her and so you don't really see him coming back in for the kiss from what he's doing you see it from her like you just the camera's just on her and so you can see her reaction to him coming in for a second kiss yeah no I think I screamed myself hoarse (laughs) I got dms from people from like every fandom I have ever been in basically saying oh my god Gino did you see it It was, yeah, it was, you know, like, did we mention before how somebody took that classic, that classic, like, video, I'm so, I apologize if I'm Gen X and I'm going to describe this incorrectly, video meme of, I think it's like from a playoff hockey game where Mm -hmm, everybody's in mm -hmm. a bar and they're all sitting there watching with like tension and then they superimpose the scene on the screen so it looks like they're watching this and then the moment that they kiss everybody goes apeshit and they're like spilling their beer I mean that's that's what it was like in my house that's what it was like in internet it was like oh my god I can't believe this is happening and the kiss is like the kiss is so emotional Mm -hmm. intimate and you see the the like the way his little eyebrow goes up like are we doing this mm-hmm. like we're doing this and then it's like it makes you sit in it with them it's mm-hmm. intimate for them it's intimate for the audience the camera is very close it is and it's like tender and it is like it's one of my favorite television kisses like of all time it's so good it's so good. And they are just such consummate actors. I mean, the emotions that Dushik is going through, like like from the moment she puts her hand on his mouth to stop him from talking and then he takes her hand away. I mean, just it, it's just beautiful, like how good he is. <laughs> How good can Sun Ho is at, at acting, at doing yeah. the acting thing? <laughs> Both of them, their faces go on this journey. Like, yeah, you, it's like his chest is breaking open. Mm-hmm. And for her, she goes from being terrified to just like looking up at him in like wonder, like, is this actually happening? It's just beautiful. And this, I mean, you know, and if we're going to get into classic rom-com, it's like, and then it's like the song, right? It's, it's just got everything. It's got this like pop song. That's perfect. It's got like, can you ever hear that song and not think of this moment? I think it was recorded specifically for that moment. So no. Right. Like that's the sign. That's, <laughs> that's like the 
rom-com movie yeah like level stuff the song they knew that, that they were doing they knew they, what they were doing and yeah. they you know what though lots of people think that they do and that doesn't mean they do it well <laughs> this, <laughs> so is this is true this is right. true i just i would be remiss if i did not point out that when he says i can't deny it anymore either he's literally using the words from the doorkeeper poem he is and he's no longer doing his job doorkeeper well the doorkeeper's still gonna hang around but he's opened the door what like he's opened the door a little bit <laughs> he's he's slacking yeah he he's slacking the door. he opened the door halfway he's drinking on the job <laughs> disciplinary action for the doorkeeper <laughs> doorkeeper go home you're drunk did you guys notice that the lighthouse blinks on at the end i think Somebody came on this podcast. Was yeah, it it's in red, right? You said that they're like lighthouses for one another. The lighthouse light goes on right before the episode freezes. Whatever. You don't know us. <laughs> <laughs> That's not devastating at all. <laughs> We're just full on meltdown. Not that this is going to help. Talk to me about the murderous epilogue. At the end of this, we have Dushik's last birthday with his grandfather. He is holding the blue cleats that he would never wear again after his grandfather died. And we have two wishes. One is not going to come true. And the other one is Dushik's wishes. Let me and my grandpa live a long and happy life together. I would like to sue Shin Ha-un for emotional damages, that this is the last birthday that they will spend together. And that is his wish. Class action lawsuit. (laughs) Class action. I know a lawyer. Join in, right? I mean, we'll we'll submit a proposal. (laughs) (laughs) And then his grandfather. And I find it so kind of devastating the way that you watch the grandfather's face get grave like sad in this moment right with his grandson blowing his candles on his birthday cake because like so many of the other fathers or father figures in the show whether it was Oyun or Heijin's father he's thinking about what is going to happen to this boy when I am gone yeah and then he makes his wish when Dushik ends up alone Please send him someone so that he won't be lonely. Please send him someone who will be good for him. And then it ends with him looking at the photograph of her at the first time that they met. Any like other feelings about that? Or just... (laughs) Just sob, sob, sob. Shout into a pillow. Sob, sob, sob. It was such a touching way to end the episode. I think what's beautiful about what Shin Ha-un said for them, about them in the script book, is even though Dushik believes that he doesn't deserve to be happy, he can't let go of Heijin. And there's no way that that is not love. The same goes for Heijin. I sincerely respect her courage to collide with her whole body, even after feeling the wall of Dushik. So the two are the only comfort and salvation for each other. I only thought about that. 
It's really beautiful. It is. Cheeto? Yeah. Let's just go because it deserves a full fangirl flail. (laughs) What is your favorite detail about the kiss? Just the fact that we got it. (laughs) When we got it. Because I, I was very worried and I feel like if he had turned her down... I feel like this would have been a very different show. Mm-hmm. Like he really needed to not turn her down here. And he, I mean, for it to be the show that I wanted it to be. <laughs> so the fact that it happened at all at this particular moment, I guess is good. The fact that, you know, he, he kisses her, but then he stops and confesses in a small way as well. Instead of, and we see more of this confession in the next episode, mm-hmm. but a lot of times the confession is just like somebody confesses and the other person just kisses them. And that's sort of in lieu of a confession. But even though he's very emotionally overwrought and they just kissed, he also confesses. And I think also, you know, he kisses her and it's very tentative and slow and but then he pulls back and in a way he also is sort of making sure she's still okay with that you know that they're kissing before going in for more I don't know I just was in that audience of people at the playoff game in that bar (laughs) down and spilling beer all over all the people in my DMs it just was one of those kisses for the ages like everything about it (laughs) Everything about it. Everything about it is my favorite part. Yeah. (laughs) Also, really good hand placement. Really good. I am all about the hand on the face. Mm -hmm. That was really well good. That was really well done, I mean. All about it. If a a man is also about to cry, Mm -hmm. when he places the hand on the face, then we're we're like like at a DEFCON 10. (laughs) (laughs) I do oh have my God. <laughs> I do have to say on the verge of tears while kissing is 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 a plus work. A um, plus work. So is and and so here's the thing, right? We are obviously as Americans watching this and and worldwide kisses and or not kissing, right? In media runs the whole gamut, right? Like if it's an American show, they probably would have gone home and had sex that night, right? But like mm-hmm. it can run the whole gamut. This kiss the way that it is like executed, it is not the like two palms meeting kiss. It is a little bit more than that, right? As you said, you know, like starts out tentatively, but there is like emotion and this like it's hard to put into words. Like there's connection there. Yeah. You feel big time. it. You feel it. Not all big culmination kisses feel like that. They don't make the audience feel that. They don't make the audience then basically lose their 40-hour work week re-watching it until the next episode came and then they played it again. <laughs> like, right? Like, so not everything about this from running across, like, from the actual words of the confession, which for both of them is such a huge character moment. It is such a huge moment that she is the one who did this and is throwing all of her plans out the window and is following his advice to basically tell him that she loves him. And it is such a huge deal that Hong Ju-shik finally shut his head off 
and let himself feel and like grasp happiness. So it's like, you know, it's like not only is it brilliantly executed, but it's just this beautiful character moment for both of them because their character arcs are so inextricably entwined. Beep, what is your favorite thing? It's very much the shut up and kiss me before you say something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) The hands on the lips. Like literally there are no more words that you could could use that are not going to mess this up. So make the right decision. (laughs) I just love how you can, and here's another thing I love about it. (laughs) Yeah. You can see his resolve crumble. Mm. Like when her hand is on, like when she puts her hand on his lips, like his face and the emotions playing on his face are so different when he takes her hand off his mouth than they were when she put her hand on his lips to shut him up. And you can just see the trans, like you can see it on his face, how his reservations have just crumbled in the like, 15 seconds or 20 seconds or however long it was when she shut him up and then finished the rest of her confession. And you can just watch the doorkeeper get sent home for drinking on the job. Like just right. He's not yeah. fired yet, but he, he's been written up for, for, <laughs> for being drunk. I just like, it's just so masterfully done. I mean, just so masterfully done. I can't think of, another confession kiss scene, certainly not in K-drama, maybe in anything I've watched that matches it. Just from the writing to the perfect buildup of emotion to the acting to the, I mean, and some kisses are poorly choreographed. And I will say future kisses on the show are not always choreographed as well as this one was. But the choreographer, like all of it, the camera work, just 10 stars, perfect, Ten out of five was invested. Stars. You could tell. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know the the thing about the hand on the lips moment, which is almost sort of symbolic about their whole romantic story, is it is both her as always being the one to cross the line first of physical intimacy, but then also what. So he's he right he he's like got his final wall up right. So the first like half of let's say half of it comes down because you have this like physical intimacy where it's like oh my god she's like touching my lips like what but mm-hmm. then but mm-hmm. then it's the emotional intimacy. She gave all her list of reasons right, and her reason was like here's all the logical things and I'm throwing that all out the window. But she didn't get to say you know, other than like to hell with all that I like you. She didn't get to say the emotional feelings part, mm-hmm. which was like, I can't hold this in anymore. Like, I can't help it. And that's what he feels too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, I think that's what really resonated with him. And then, I mean, the part that we like is he kisses her. Mm-hmm. I think that was so important because not only because of the journey that they went on where she kissed him first and he denied it, right? But it's uh, it's now him reaching out physically and then and then the words start to come, right? Like because the the kiss is like about feelings and he needs it's almost like he has to do that 
first, and then it sort of tumbles out, right? Like, I, I can't deny it either. Then he kisses her again. And then at the beginning of the next episode, because he's Chief Hong, he has to say his piece too. <laughs> Which is like so them. I do want to add one thing also about the kiss. He says he can't deny it anymore either. And he gives her like a small little smile. Oh, bro. My husband is looking at me like, what is going on in there? (laughs) The little eyebrow before the first kiss and Mm -hmm. the little smile before the second Mm -hmm. breaks me. Yep. Kim Sun Ho, man, and Shin Min Ah, like it is. Mm-hmm. It was a, it's it's pretty special. <laughs> and we'll just put a timestamp when we release this podcast of this is how many minutes that we talked about the kiss. <laughs> this is how many minutes Gino and Tina are just squealing. Almost a year later, we've been doing this for a year. We're I coming know. up on a year that this right, this show started in August of 2021. We it are did. still flailing about this kiss almost a year later. I know. That is rare. I did take some time off in there. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I've been flailing. Were you also time. drinking on the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually, and I should be reprimanded. <laughs> all right Gino thank you so much for unpacking this rom-com classic episode of television I it was really it was so much fun to have you on and just you know basically range from crying to flailing (laughs) yeah no it was my pleasure and I mean you know how much I love this show and this episode in particular and it was super fun being on okay we made it Gino, thank you so much for joining us. We know that you had been sick and you've had a lot going on. I've had a lot going on. Scheduling was rough on this one. And the the technology tried to attack us today, but we made it through. So we thank you so much. Hope that you'll come back. At any time. It was my pleasure. So next up on the pod, we have episode 11 coming up with the Sikai head over heels in love. Until next time, throw away all unnecessary thoughts and be honest with yourself. We'll see you soon. Oh, you feels grenade monster. Yeah. <laughs>